You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Kenny, so great to talk to you again. Let's jump right in with Coach Flores when you got the news and how great you felt. You know, JT, it was such a wonderful blessing. I mean, it's, it's, it's long overdue. And, you know, the, all the accolades, all the things that Tom Flores has brought to this organization, to this league, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's finally, he's finally being recognized. But you know what? It's better late than never. Uh, but, I mean, you know, because we still, you know, we still got Cliff and we got some other players. But, you know what, I'm, I'm really happy right now. I'm happy, very, I'm happy for Coach and I'm happy for the organization. Kenny King joins us. Yeah, Kenny, it's interesting to me because we'll get to Cliff and the judge, Lester Hayes, and Jim Plunkett, who threw you that legendary 80-yard touchdown <laughs> in Super Bowl 15. But I like what you said. It, it's coming. Better late than never. Now, you've had an unbelievable yeah. life, and it's still going strong for a long, long time. And it, sometimes you have to wait, even if there's an injustice for it to be righted. And I just think there were millions of people, not thousands, millions of people waiting on this news for, for Clo- Coach Flores. They were all invested in this decision. You know, it, you, you're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, because because you know you look at you look at what Coach Flores brings to the National Football League. I mean, the first Hispanic, the first you know first assistant coach, first and head coach, player. I mean, all the things that he's done, and it's not just it's not just for us, you know, the city of Oakland. It's not just for Las Vegas. It's not just for the Raider family. It's it's for it's for America, you know. And I think that you know we're in a part we're in a part in our life right now. Uh, where we're needing some healing, and and this is this was a this was a huge healing for me because I remember being at Coach's seventy uh, fifth birthday party out in Reno, and he says, and I said, Coach, this is a really nice party. He says, ah, this ain't going nothing. Wait till I go into the hall. I'm like, I'm ready to go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really those Super Bowl parties, and you've been to them, and you've been to Hall of Fame parties. There's just something different, and I want to segue to your career. Coming out of Oklahoma and who you played for in Barry Switzer and with Barry Sims and the accolades you got in college, you end up going to Houston in 79. But I want to talk about the move with Mr. Davis to come to the Raiders. What an arc in your life. If that doesn't happen, you're still the great Kenny King, and I'm sure you have a great career, but it's not as no. famed as playing for the Oakland and L.A. Raiders. Tell me, tell us how that deal happened and how you moved from Houston to the Raiders. Well, you know, it was the last day. It was the last day of the uh, of the NFL draft in 1980, and I got a phone call from uh, Bu- uh, from Bum, Adam, uh, Bum Phillips. Head coach at Oak, you know, and he and he was telling me, he said, "Hey, things happen in life, and you know, da, da, da. I'm like, hey, what, you know, what are you talking about? He said, we just traded you. So when I when I, you know, I'm running up and down the, you know, stairs because I'm found out I just got traded to the Oakland Raiders. This is going to give me an opportunity to showcase my talent, I, and I thought, you know, this is this is a perfect opportunity for me. But Mr. Davis made the call. He made the move. Um, I got. I, you know, I was out of Houston in 72 hours uh, on my way to Oakland trying to figure out what I'm going to be doing and find out, you know, and, and what, you know, what's all this about. And once I got to Oakland, you know, I, JT, I, I had never, I didn't meet Al. I didn't meet Mr. Davis until training camp. Now, I was in Oakland from July. I got to Oakland. No, I take that back. I got to Oakland in, in uh, uh, May. So I stayed at the Oakland uh, Hagenberger. Uh, the Hilton, the Hyatt, or whatever the thing was. Yeah, the Hilton. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I stayed I stayed there for like three months learning the offense before going to training camp because I felt like this is going to give me, you know, this is probably my last shot because I was seriously contemplating leaving football and going into the oil industry. And when I got the trade, when I got the, you know, the call from the trade, for, you know, telling me that I was coming to Oakland, I felt like this was going to resurrect my, you know, resurrect my career. And you know what? It definitely did. Everything that um, I could imagine happened, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 and that one move. And, and Mr. Davis made it very clear when I first met him. He says, when I, when I first, when I first saw you play, it was, it was your senior year. You went, you went that you split the secondary uh, to see you. And he says, when I saw that, I knew I had to have you. <laughs> Incredible. So, Mr. Davis's eye and the way he was able yeah. to look back and remember plays from high school to college. And those plays always come back to be the arc of this story about how Mr. Davis found the majority of his players. It truly is incredible. Kenny King's our guest. So you come to the Raiders. When I was on that Super Bowl 15 Zoom with you and you were talking with your teammates about this, take me through the point in that season where it looked like the season was getting away from you. That speech, what happened, and you guys knew that you had to turn the season around in the regular season if you're going to have any shot to be a Super Bowl team or a playoff team, you know what, JT? When we had that meeting, that was that was a turning point in our lives. I mean, in, in that meeting, I had never, you know, I I had been involved in in a call in a call somewhat like that at Oklahoma, but nothing to this mag- magnitude. When the meeting was called, everybody had a chance to speak. Nobody, you know, if you're a rookie, if you, you know, if you don't think that you deserve to speak, everybody had a chance to speak. So if you didn't speak, that's on you. So there was a lot of things said. There was a lot of fingers got pointed. But then there was a lot of comment that got taken out of context. And you knew that something was going to happen. And when we left that meeting the next day, there was one player that wasn't there with us that next day. And, you know, you knew that this this is a future Hall of Famer. And he's not here with us. There's a reason for that. So we moved forward. We we realized where we were going, what direction we were, you know, going in. And it just so happened that when Dante, you know, broke his leg against Kansas City, and and Jim came in and you know, kind of just resurrected his season. It was just like Jim finally, you know, hey, look, you know, here's that opportunity. I don't know if I'm going to ever get it again. If I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. And you know what? It's just everybody starts clicking around each other. We believed in each other. Every week we fought, you know, we fought our offense fought for defense, defense fought for offense. There was times when Ted Hendricks would come up to us and tell us, hey, guys, we play in San Diego. He says, just keep us in the ball game. You know what? We'll pull it out. That's it. We'll pull it out at the end. You know, and that's, and that's so real because when we played San Diego's, it was who had the ball last. Yeah, it was absolutely just a runaway. Just a runaway. We just ran away with it. So, um, it, you know, this organization, this organization means so much to a lot of people. I live in I live in Fort Worth, Texas now, but you know what? There's a lot of Raider fans here in the Fort Worth area. There's a mm-hmm. lot of Raider support that's here in you know in this area because it's it's about it's it's that silver and black. 
you know, now I got my I got my little Las Vegas Raiders football hat on. I'm going, you know, mm-hmm. going uh, running some errands today, and I'm walking around town, and people just look at you like, and all they do, all they can do is nod their head. I love it. Kenny King <laughs> joins us. So walk us through the route on your legendary player, your life and career, the 80-yard touchdown reception in Super Bowl 15. Walk me through the huddle. You break the huddle, and what happens on that play? Uh, simple. I mean, I'm running a simple little flat pattern. I'm like the set, you know third tertiary uh, player. Uh, play is you know is play action is going is mainly going to Bobby Chandler coming across over the you know in the corner. Um, what all of a sudden it was a breakdown. Carl Harrison was chasing Jim. Uh, Jerry uh, Jerry. Uh, Robinson, who was covering me at the time, he took two steps forward. Herman took two steps forward. I just kind of took a step back, and then the next thing you know, there's a little lob over the over the top of both of their heads, and it was right into my hands on the sideline. And it's like, at that point, JT, there's no way in hell I could <laughs> uh, I, I could drop that football kill in front of in front of the Oakland Raiders football team and not be able to run 80 yards, but. You know, it it it, it finalized in, into a you know into a a, a score, and it, it it was a you know a long run for the longest run, and you know it's a reception in Super Bowl history, and you know Jay, you know Clunk uh, and I always talk about that. You know, it's just like you know how you know he told me he says I, I wasn't going to throw it to you, but I, I thought that you know you just it, you just might be rejuvenating it and catch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice of Jim Plunkett. Kenny King. Hey, Kenny, lastly, I, I, you saw the Al Davis 30 for 30, right? I'm sure you watched that. And when you looked I missed at the. It. Oh, you missed it. Okay. When you get a chance to see it, go see it. The locker room, the locker room presentations with Pete Rozelle and Al Davis and the tension coming in to start those celebrations. And then you guys all pipe yeah. up and win. And just, all, the, all that, that moment when Al Davis gets the Lombardi trophy. And looks to you. Let's wrap it up with that. What was that experience like being at two trophy presentations inside the locker room with Roselle and Davis? You know, I knew that it was going to be it was going to be exciting once we won the Super Bowl 15, because that fight had been going on for the whole year, entire year, uh, going getting into that game, and then we were able to give Mr. Davis opportunity to have the last word by saying, "Hey, you are the greatest of all time." But to be, you know, be, to have opportunity to play in two two world championships with the Raider organization, and be able to say that I'm a two-time world champion, it's a, it's an incredible. You know, I mean, there's a lot. You know, you got your Brady's has got his six, but you know what? Two with the Raiders is such is such a tremendous honor, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm thankful. That I'm a part of that organization, and one, like you say, once a Raider, always a Raider. Well, Kenny, I'll tell you, we'll always be tied. You, me, Reggie Kinlaw, and my wife, because we were at the Napa Marriott, and my son already got accepted to go to Oklahoma, and you guys were out front waiting for the bus, and we talked about that. Now yes. he's a sophomore at Oklahoma. He's doing great. He's on campus. He watched the Super Bowl there, and it's a great home for him. It's and hopefully this pandemic ends so I could get a couple of years. Uh, drinking some beer with him in college and getting out there, and I want to go. I want to go to Boomer Sooner, Sooner football games the rest of uh, his college run. So I hope to see you down there. I, I, I look forward to you, and 
I'm sure Reggie, Reggie's looks the same. Thank you, Kenny. Take care. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians. But we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. Once a Raider, always a Raider. We welcome in Mark Wilson, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Raiders, college football Hall of Famer, one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Mark, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's jump in. Before we get to your Raider years, looking back at your stats and what you were able to accomplish at BYU, Really tremendous. You're thought of still today after that 1979 season as one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. How important is your college legacy to you? Oh, it's important. You know, I think it's important to all us guys who played. It was a, a great time of my life, great experience to play at BYU. You know, they were one of the first teams to really embrace the passing game, and I was fortunate to be there during that time. They had great coaches that could teach it, and they committed to it, and, and it was just a lot of fun to play in that system and to play for that school, you know, during that particular time in my life. And do you believe after that, too, the door had opened up for other BYU quarterbacks that came behind you, able to put up those aerial assaults? That system, for a long period of time, was one of the greatest offensive passing systems in college football history. Yeah, it was it was so much fun. And, you know, you're right. So many guys came and played. You know, uh, Jim McMahon followed me, and Steve Young followed Jim, and, Robbie Bosco came along, and they won a national title with Robbie. And then uh, Ty Detmer came along and finally eventually won a Heisman Trophy for BYU. You know, it was just, you know, again, it was a great experience. It was a great system. They taught it really well. And, you know, if you if you learned it and got efficient with it, it was a system really where it was pretty much unstoppable. And that's, that. you know, that is just so much fun to play in that kind of a system. Uh, walk me through the draft that year because with the numbers that you put up in college, I would assume that you would have went, you know, round one, I believe, 15th pick overall, 1980, and then the Raiders come. How did that come about? Did you feel like you were going earlier than that? Did you have indications that you were going to another team? Can we get into Al Davis and how you came to the Raiders in the first round of 1980? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a funny story because, again, it was a different era, and I know it's hard to kind of relate because we have so much media attention around it now, and you have a draft day, and you have all that kind of stuff, and we didn't you know, we didn't have any of that stuff back in those days. But, to, you know, one thing that teams did sent out questionnaires to all kind of all the prospects, and I remember I got that questionnaire from, I think, the time there were 28 teams in the NFL, and I got that questionnaire from 24 teams. Uh, one team I didn't get, I don't think I got the questionnaire from, never heard from was the Raiders. And I, I think it was primarily because they didn't expect that I would be there at the 15th pick. And so they really weren't focused on, you know, having an opportunity to draft me. So when it came along that I was available, it was kind of a su- surprise to them and to me that I was in that in that spot. And I remember they called me and before they, they took me and said, hey, uh, you know, we're thinking about taking you. If we take you, you know, how do you feel about that? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm excited to play in the NFL. If you take me, that'll be great. And sure enough, they took me. But I, I don't think anybody expected that the Raiders were going to take a quarterback, much less take me in the first round in 1980. So what was it like? Mark Wilson joins us when you come in, the Jim Plunkett scenario, uh, backing him up on the 1980 championship team, the politics behind being a 
I wouldn't say a bonus baby, but an elite superstar college quarterback and coming in and understanding your role with so much upside when you came right into the league. Well, you know, it's even different than that because if you remember in 1980, prior to that season, they traded Ken Stabler for Dan yep. Pastorini. And Ken, of course, was a beloved guy, still is, in, in Raider Nation and for, for all the right reasons. So actually, Dan was the starter, and Jim backed up Dan, and I was this third-string guy behind Jim. And then, of course, uh, that, in that year, we started out 2-2, two and two, and then we played Kansas City at home and lost badly. Dan broke his leg. Jim uh, replaced him in the second half. We, we, we obviously lost the game, and, and, you know, everyone thought our season was over. And uh, it, it's amazing what happened after that. We kind of rebounded. We regrouped. Jim played great. We got a little momentum. We got some confidence, and, you know, we, we qualified as a wildcard team, and then we became the first wildcard team to ever go through the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. And there were some great performances that year of guys. Jim, of course, played great, was the MVP. Rod Martin played great, had three interceptions in the Super Bowl. Kenny King was a, a, a guy that was traded for during the season, and Kenny was great. But I think the guy who had the greatest season was Lester Hayes. And I, and I said it. I think Lester had a, had a year as a defensive back that's never been duplicated even to this day. Lester was truly phenomenal, and 1980 was at the top of his game. Mark Wilson joins us. So we had Kenny King on Monday, and he talked about that speech, the 2-2, two and two, then 2-3 two and three speech, the closed meeting. What do you remember about that at that time as you're a young player in that room with all those legends and future Hall of Famers and the season was on the brink early before you turned it around for that Super Bowl run. How special was that meeting? It, it was an amazing meeting. And, you know, Gene was the captain. Gene Upshaw was one of the captains. And when I got there in 1980, Gene, his best years were behind him, but he still was a great player. I only mention that because, um, you know, as I think about Gene's career, I, I really honestly think the greatest thing that Gene Upshaw ever did for the Raiders was what happened in that meeting. Because there was a lot, there was a lot of crazy stuff in that meeting going on. There were guys who thought that we really weren't a very good team and, you know, maybe we should just kind of pack it in and try again next year. There were guys that were adamant that, no, we had a good team. And Jim was – or not Jim, but Gene – was absolutely adamant. No, we have a great team. In fact, Gene got up on the whiteboard and wrote, 13-3 and will still win it. And that would mean we'd have to win 11 games in a row, which we did not do. But we, we didn't finish 11-5, and five, or 13-3, and three, we finished 11-5. And, and, really, and I really maintain that it was because of how Gene handled that meeting, how he kept the team together through that turmoil, and, and like I said, in my mind, as great as a player that Gene Upshaw was, the greatest thing he ever did was in that meeting because that changed things. You know, that kind of going on from that year and winning the Super Bowl and then winning it two years later, we wouldn't have won it two years later if we hadn't have done that in 1980. And I think in my mind, it all goes back to that meeting and, and how Gene Upshaw handled everything. That's incredible. What a, what a legacy Gene Upshaw had. What a great player. And you had a front row seat for all that. Mark Wilson's our guest. So, Mark, what's the big takeaway for you in your life with the expectations you had coming in, being a backup, then getting an opportunity to start, then sitting down again, getting moved on to another team or two teams? What, what was your journey like to you that you could tell our listeners about that really changed your life coming from being a Hall of Fame college quarterback, a two-time Super Bowl champion, but dealing with some – you know, personal ups and downs trying to play in the league. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've had a lot of years to think about that. And, and I do think about it from time to time, even, you know, now, some, you know, 40 years later, 30 years later. 
I guess the takeaway for me is, you know, I always dreamed about being a professional athlete and getting a chance to play in the NFL, in particular getting a chance to play for Mr. Davis and the Raiders was such an honor. And uh, I finished up in New England, but that whole experience was such an honor. It was a great experience. It didn't turn out exactly the way that I would hope it would have turned out. But to be honest, I don't know that I would change much. I mean, I had someone asked me one time, you know, would you change anything for the Raiders if it meant you didn't go to two Super Bowls with those teams? I said, no. Are you crazy? I mean, you know, the whole thing is to hopefully get a chance to play for a world championship and be a part of a world championship team. And I was so fortunate to be a part of some of the, uh, a couple of those teams, to be a teammate of such great players that were, you know, there during that era. And, and I wouldn't change a thing. Again, it, it didn't turn out exactly how I would hope, but it was a great experience nonetheless, a great honor to play in the league and a great honor to play with those teammates of mine during those years. That's really nicely said, the fact that you don't want to change anything. Life's about going through life. There's going to be ups and downs, and I really appreciate what you're saying, being a part of those two Super Bowl teams. The Raiders have three as a franchise, and they're trying to hunt down another one. And for you to be in the room and to practice every day and to be called on and to step up when you had to, that's an incredible part of your life journey. When you got the call that you were going to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, what did that mean to you and your family? Oh, that was, a, that was an amazing experience. You know, I, um, you know there had been uh, one person before me that had been inducted. In fact, it was the quarterback right before me, a guy named Gifford Nielsen. And Gifford and I had been great friends. And mm-hmm. I watched him to go into that College Football Hall of Fame and kind of dreamed and hoped that that would happen. And thought maybe I had a chance. And so when it actually happened, it was such a great thing. It was great to be at the banquet. Gifford came. Lavelle, of course, was there and other people from BYU. My whole family was there. It, you know, it was, a, it was a day I'll never forget. That, that's such a huge honor. And, of course, it's, it's something they can never take away from you. So, I mean, that's been one of the highlights of my athletic career. Mark, finally, what does the Raider organization mean to you today? Uh, I, you know, I love the Raider organization. You know, it's, it, I think it's true, you know, with so many things in our lives. At the moment, sometimes we don't quite appreciate it as much as we should and, and as much as we will later on with some reflection. And I absolutely um, – like I said, feel so honored to be a part of that organization for eight years, to be a part of those teams, to have an opportunity to play for Mr. Davis, to have an opportunity to play for Mr. Flores, Tom Flores, and that whole coaching staff. And then, of course, to have the friendships and the teammates that I had during that time period. What a great honor it was. I, I, it was just a great time in my life. Like I said, I wouldn't change it because of the success we had. And just uh, so proud to have been uh, had, played for the for the Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders. Pretty exciting when Coach Flores got in and you got the new Saturday, huh? Uh, you know, I was so happy for him because there have been times guys have been, uh, you know, inducted into the into the Hall of Fame after they've passed away. And, you know, Tom's not getting any younger. And I was afraid that that would happen in his situation. And, and it was just such a shame because then he doesn't have the opportunity to kind of enjoy that with his family and his grandkids and, you know, all everybody, former players and coaches and the whole organization. It's just a different experience. So I was so happy that this finally happened and he has, a, he has some time to enjoy it, you know, with everybody that meant so much to him during that particular time in his life. Yeah, it is really special. And I tweeted out this morning, I saw something in, I kind of got a little bit upset in a brief moment that Cliff Branch isn't in. And Cliff was your teammate, and Cliff won three Super Bowls. Drew Pearson got in, and I hate to take something away from Drew, but he had nowhere near the stats or the accomplishments of Cliff. And with Jim Plunkett and Todd Christensen and some of the other names that we're hearing, Mark, on the way out, 
Lester Hayes, who you said something so cool about, even on that Zoom call, it jumped out at me as I was emceeing that, and you mentioned Lester. There's still a lot of Raiders that need to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Oh, there absolutely are. You mentioned Cliff Branch. I mean, Cliff Branch changed the game. There wasn't anybody in Cliff's era, especially early on, that scared defenses and defensive coordinators more than Cliff Branch. Nobody. Uh, that's why, I, you know, it's just such a shame. And, you know, Cliff is one of those situations where Cliff is no longer with us. And I think at some point he's going to get in. And I think it's a shame that he's not alive to enjoy it and to enjoy it with his family and to revel in all that that comes with it. Um, but, but certainly Cliff and so many others are so deserving to be in that Hall of Fame. Mark, what are you doing today? Tell the fans what you're doing now in your life. I started a company in Utah about nine years ago, the name of the company is Q Sciences. We're a health and wellness company, and we ship all over the world. This uh, product line that we have, and uh, that's kept me really busy, but it's something I've, I've very much enjoyed, and, and, and that's, what I'm, that's what I've been doing. Thank you, Mark. A pleasure. I can't wait to see you out here in Vegas more. All the best to you and your family. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network.